So sometimes God has other plans. I've had my sermon on John 15, uh, 18 through 25 in the can, as it were, for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I worked hard on the, uh, over the break to figure out how we can finish John uh, just after Memorial Day. And COVID came back to my house and to the church, and the schedule went right out the window. But here you all are this morning. So uh, God must have had this message for all of you. Uh, so I've decided not just uh, yet to jump back into John 15. I, I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity. Um, I, for, oh, for one thing, I, I think that John 15, 18 through 25 is a, a meal that I want us all to enjoy. Um, but uh, I, I, I also just wanted to take a minute and kind of share some of the things that God has been teaching me uh, through John 14, um, and this seemed like a good time to do it. So uh, we'll be remaining in John this morning. I'm, I'm pretty committed to preaching through books of the Bible. It's my joy to, to preach through the Scripture verse by verse each week. Um, but uh, sometimes the things that I learn land heavy on me, and I keep thinking about them, and I wish I had said things differently, or I wish I had uh, said more or less. And so uh, I, I want to back up to some of the things we've learned in John 14 and 15 and, and, and talk about some of those things. Um, I, I have to say this, too. Just sometimes, like, when I finish preaching a book, I'm like, now I should preach the book because I really understand the book. Like, so I, I feel like with John 14, that's, that's a little bit of what happened there. So we're just going to take the opportunity to, to, to get a little bird's eye view of some great and precious promises. Um, so let me start. I want to start with an important affirmation, okay? So we're going to begin here this morning. God is faithful. We're going to, we're going to start with that. How does, how does that statement strike you? Are you encouraged? Are you perplexed? Does it seem hollow to you like Christian words that you've heard all of your life but that have just become sort of background noise? This is one of the great truths that God's people have affirmed since time began. God is faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Hebrew word translated faithfulness means steadfastness or firmness or fidelity. The opposite of being faithful is to be ever-changing or wishy-washy or undependable. So God never changes. He never lies. He has never failed. When he promises something, he does it. And when he promises to give us something, he always gives it. I want to read Romans 8.28, probably a, a verse that you're familiar with. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I, I believe firmly that those words are not given to us as cold evidence to be able to be used in some kind of theological debate about the sovereignty of God. Those words are given to comfort 
the followers of Jesus. God really is working all things for our good and His glory. And He will always be faithful to that promise. In the Old Testament, one of the commands that you read over and over again is to remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Deuteronomy 2.8, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Very early on, God says to Moses, write these things down so that they can remember. Isaiah 46 says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Remember, we read about these things in Scripture. God was faithful, bringing His people out of Egypt. He was faithful to give them the promised land. He was faithful to discipline them when they turned away from Him. He was faithful to send Messiah, and He was faithful to provide covering for our sins. Whether you can see it or not, God is faithful. So I would add to that then that God expects His people to trust in His faithfulness, and that's what it means to have faith. Faith is trusting in the character of God before we know how He is going to work things out. Faith starts with trusting His promises to save, but it goes beyond that into our daily lives not just those promises that are related to salvation, but the ones that sustain us day by day. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God has attached his reputation to his faithfulness. If he is not faithful, then he is not who he claims to be. Looked at another way, to deny God's faithfulness is to be faithless. It is to question what He has revealed about Himself. It is to read these things and say, I'm not so sure about that. So when we say God is faithful or we sing great is your faithfulness, there's much at stake. We're not just uttering Christian words strung together to make a Christian phrase. We are making a statement about reality. If God is faithful, everything changes which brings me back to John 14. John 14 through 16 is this treasure chest of promises. And we've seen this over the last few months. It's like Jesus is giving his terrified disciples a crash course in all of his greatest promises. And God's faithfulness is at stake in that upper room discourse. So I'm glad to have a chance to stop here and remind us of these things. God is faithful. His promises are true. By the way, when we get to John 15, 18, hopefully next week, we're going to see that we need to cling to these promises because Jesus is going to get real about the trouble that's coming. All right? So I want to talk about the three big promises. There's a fourth big promise. 
the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about that. We will have a chance to talk more about that next week. But I want to focus on three specific promises, Jesus' love, his peace, and his joy that we've seen in John 14. At the very beginning, we're going to start with his love. Jesus assures his followers of his love. There's your first outline point for those who like such things. Jesus assures his followers of his love. John 13, 1, at the very beginning of the night, John tells us, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I I mark that. I've mentioned it several times. Loved them to the end means that he loved them perfectly. Not just that he loved them all the way to the end of his life, but he loved them perfectly. In John 15, 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then in John 15, 12 through 13, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ loves us. He loves us perfectly. He loves us like the Father loves Him. Write that down and think about that this week. Jesus Christ loves us like His Father loves Him. There is no greater love than that someone would give their life for their brothers. That's what Jesus did for us. Now remember, God is faithful and His promises are true. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's Word endures forever. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, loves you? How would it change your life if you went through your days trusting God's love for you? He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He sees it all, even those thoughts you think that you don't want anybody else to know, and he still loves you. And here's something I know from experience, and I'm seeing more and more in my own life. As I trust his love, I feel more secure in him. John 13, 3 and 4, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Jesus, knowing that he had been given all things from the Father, got up and served. When we trust in God's love and his provision, we too will serve others because we'll feel safe to love and serve others. Jesus said in in verse 18 in chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphans are very insecure. A lot of people want to picture little orphan Annie and Daddy Warbucks and just, I'm in. This is great. I was in an orphanage. Now I'm in a mansion. Boom. It doesn't work like that. An orphan doesn't trust the love of a new parent until he or she knows that parent. 
And often they will act out of insecurities that seem self-destructive. They'll they'll quickly retreat to self-protection and crazy behaviors that are rooted in insecurity because they don't believe in that love. They don't trust. God has promised us His love, and He has faithfully demonstrated His love. And as long as we refuse to believe in that love, we will act like insecure, self-protective orphans. But once we learn to feel safe in that love, like Jesus, we will be free to love and serve others. Jesus promises his love for us. Jesus also promises his peace. And I would remind you that chapter 14 is bookended by Jesus' two commands to let not your heart be troubled. He says it in verse 1, In verse 27, this is Christ's comfort in the midst of trouble. Do you want Jesus' comfort? It's very important, very, very important that we understand that he is not saying you will not have any more trouble. Hey, guys, you guys go out of here. Trouble is done. That is not what he's saying. He actually says the opposite. At the very end of the section, chapter 16, verse 33, he will say, in this world you will have trouble. We'll see next week, Lord willing. The Lord will, the world, the world, the world will hate you. The world will persecute you. These young men, I've, I've made the case exhaustively that they are experiencing unimaginable trouble. Not only does Jesus not promise that we will not have trouble, he assures us that we will have trouble. This is an area where I think many Christians are not paying attention to God's word. He couldn't be clearer. You, wouldn't, you will have trouble, but he promises peace in the midst of trouble. He says in verse 27, chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus has left us with his peace. It's quite a promise. Jesus wouldn't say, I'm leaving you my peace and not give it because God is faithful and he can be trusted and he always keeps his promises. One of the things that Jesus repeats throughout this portion of Scripture is, I've told you these things before they happen. He's not leaving us in the dark. Everyone is upset right now. I know I say this often, but we live in a world where everybody is upset all the time. Everybody's depressed, everybody's anxious, everybody's afraid, everybody's despairing. I read a CNN piece this week by a a woman, I think the title of it was something like, my COVID diagnosis felt the same as my cancer diagnosis. And it was sad. It was a woman who doesn't know that Jesus loves her, who is afraid. And she's afraid for her family, and she's been isolated for two years, and she's at the end of a rope. She's still an orphan. There are times right now when it almost feels embarrassing to say, I am blessed, or God is faithful, because you feel like somebody might respond, how dare you say that when my life is so hard? But I am here this morning to testify to you that I really do believe that Jesus is saying there can be peace even in the hard. You may not know peace right now. You may be 
in a dark season, and you may have loved ones who are in a dark season. I am not asking you to believe that somebody can just snap their finger and be at peace. I am asking you to believe that Jesus' peace is available to every Christian, and He is not stingy with it. It's important to note that Jesus' peace is a different peace than the world gives. If you look to the world for peace, you will get the peace like the world gives. You won't get the peace like Jesus gives. The world gives distracted, sedated, misdirected peace. There's smoke screens. When the smoke clears, everything is the same. Jesus' peace remains. It's interesting to me that Paul commands the Colossians to let the peace of God reign in your hearts. Let it reign as if peace can exist if we let it. I want to testify to you personally this morning that I believe this peace is real. And I do not live in a constant state of peace. Far from it. My heart was not peaceful last week when my children started testing positive for COVID again. Not so much because I was afraid but because we had a big weekend planned. Basketball games and swim meets, and I was planning on preaching. And as I just watch my schedule just fall apart, and then I start to feel physically bad, I did not live in peace the whole time. But I see glimpses. And by God's grace, as I continue to know Him more and trust Him more, I am enjoying peace more and more. And I want to follow that up then with the third promise, which is the promise of joy. Maybe this is the hardest one yet. Jesus promises his followers joy. In verse, chapter 15, verse 11, if you remember, this was the last, one of the last verses we covered. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Jesus has left us his peace and his joy. And he says, he is telling us these things so that our joy may be full and that his joy may be in us. And as clear as that is, the statement that really got my attention this fall was in chapter 14, verse 28. You hear me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And if you remember, it feels like Jesus is challenging his disciples. Like, you guys are all so sad, and if you understood what's happening here, I'm who you say to love, you say you love, I'm going back to my Father, and then I'm going to accomplish your redemption and I'm going to be glorified. In other words, if you could see this from my perspective, you would rejoice. And, and what I understood from that and what I needed to hear is that the more that I can seek to understand this world, this life, from Christ's perspective, I will rejoice. And once again, in the midst of trouble, I think that we can all rejoice because Jesus says that we can. 
Our family has committed to seek joy this year. Thankfully, it's possible because Jesus has promised his joy. And I've already found that as I purpose to seek joy, it's near. And I would challenge you at Hope to do the same. Trust in this promise. Jesus has told you these things so that his joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And I have noticed, again, speaking personally, that this is a bit of a decision to be made on my part. I think as much as Paul says, let the the peace of God reign in your hearts to the Colossians, I think he could also say, let joy reign in your hearts. I don't think it's a stretch that those two would be the same. And as much as we've had so many reasons to mourn this year, and many of you have mourned with me, and I have mourned with you, And still we live with so many reasons to lament. And Paul says in Romans 12, 15, mourn with those who mourn. But you know what he says right before that? Rejoice with those who rejoice. So I believe that peace and love and joy are available to every person who is in Christ. And I don't believe this because I have some kind of insensitive, unrealistic view of life. I believe it because Jesus promises peace and love and joy, and I trust those promises. And I can testify to you that He is faithful because He has constantly been faithful when I am not. And I'm not here to play games with you. I am not asking you to try harder. I am not asking you to do more things. I am asking you to hear Jesus' words and consider. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And as I've said, I'm also not here this morning to tell you that I have found some perpetual sense of peace. I will one day. But I have seen glimpses, and I'm seeing them more and more, and I want you to see them as well. And if you can't see them, I want to help you, because I believe Jesus' words are true. So I'd like to close with just a few practical suggestions that I think can help us as we seek peace, love, and joy that Jesus has promised us. All right? So number one, Remind yourself that God is faithful. Speak those words aloud. I have found at times that just saying those words aloud functions as a reminder in my heart. They're not magic words, but they can serve as a reminder. Oh, yeah, God is faithful. Self-talk is good. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him. That's the psalmist in Psalm 42, 11. I read a psalm every morning, and I pray through it, and I'm trying to just get that in me. And I'll tell you what I see. I see psalmists wrestling with questions. How does what I see around me fit with your promises? Why do the enemies seem to be winning? Why is my sin still so present within me? All of the Psalms, except one, ends with statements of trust and praise. 
Job, the greatest example of righteous suffering, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, in the middle of the greatest loss and in the middle of the most insensitive friends ever. If you think your life is full of insensitive friends, Job had it worse than you. He says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at last he will take his stand on the earth. It's Job 19.25. I, I commend to you Stephen Curtis Chapman. Saddle up your horses. Uh, he has an album called Beauty Will Rise. So many of you are probably familiar with it. These are songs that were written after the sudden and tragic death of his young daughter in 2008. Some of the lyrics are gut-riching. I actually listened to it this morning while I was preparing, and I, I can't get through it without becoming emotional. I, I commend the whole album to you, Beauty Will Rise. But there, the track number five is called Faithful. And I'll just read the first verse and chorus, and I would encourage you to go listen to the whole thing. I am broken, I am bleeding, I'm scared, and I'm confused. But you are faithful. Yes, you are faithful. I am weary, unbelieving. God, please help my unbelief, because you are faithful. Yes, you are faithful. I will proclaim it to the world. I will declare it to my heart and sing it when the sun is shining. I will scream it in the dark. I just love that. I'll proclaim it. I'll declare it to my heart. God is faithful. And as you grow in confidence that's, that those words are true, God is faithful, I would encourage you to speak it to others. Speak it to your family. Speak it to other Christians. Those words are a huge encouragement to me. God is faithful. Oh, yeah, because sometimes I forget. Testify to non-Christians about God's faithfulness because God is honored when we proclaim his faithfulness. Secondly, look for evidence of God's faithfulness. I came across this quote from Matthew Henry a couple of weeks ago. God delights to furnish those with matter for praise that have hearts for it. God delights to furnish those with matter for praise who have hearts for it. In other words, if you go looking for reasons to praise... God will provide you with that. And I think the same, same thing could be said for his faithfulness. God delights to furnish those with evidence of his faithfulness who have hearts for it. First verse of Come Thou Fount says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Father, would you give us, Hope Bible Church, would you give us the ability to tune our hearts to recognize your faithfulness? Would you allow us to look for those streams of mercy so that we would sing with loudest praise? What if our gatherings every week were filled with people who are seeing those streams of mercy and come here together to sing out with praise? Write down that evidence of faithfulness. I, I finally started journaling about five years ago. And I'm not a good journal, journaler. Nobody's, please don't everybody, anybody ever publish those things. It's a mess. But it's fun to look back and to see 
answered prayer and to read about his faithfulness, even in my poor expressions of what's happening, I can remember, oh yeah, I remember that. Especially answered prayer. Third, let peace, love, and joy reign in your hearts. First of all, if you're here this morning and that sounds like too much, I would ask you only this. Start by making sure that you're not preventing His peace and love and joy from reigning in your heart. At least acknowledge, because of His promises and because He is faithful, that peace and love and joy are possible. For the rest of us, believe that Jesus has given us these things and live in them. These are our gifts. I didn't get into this this morning, but in each of those chapters, there are commands associated with these promises. Obey my commandments, ask in my name and I will give it. Love others as I have loved you. Abide in me. We've talked about all of those things. Jesus is not calling us to some vegetative, passive state of peace. This isn't Eastern mysticism. This is active faith that works. And there are a lot of if-thens in this chapter, if you remember. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will send a helper to you. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If abiding with Christ sounds nice to you, then love Christ and keep his word. These are what we call conditional phrases, and the implication is clear. If you don't ask, if you don't love, if you don't obey, then you will not enjoy these blessings. And Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That sure sounds to me like Jesus is laying out a path to joy. And then finally, prepare for trouble. This is my little connector to next week. You can go read the rest of chapter 15. You'll see what I'm talking about. What I've done this morning, by the way, was supposed to be my introduction for next week, so you might have to sit through some version of this at least at the beginning of next week again. If you've got these things all down, then you can just skip the first five minutes and come in a little bit late. But if you're still working on it, join me. John 15, 18 begins with a section where Jesus is very specifically laying out the kind of trouble he's thinking about. And I got to tell you, it's a lot worse than COVID and inflation. The world will hate you. The world will persecute you. I don't know what may come for us, but I want to prepare this body to be faithful no matter what. These next two chapters, chapter 15, the rest of chapter 15 and chapter 16, they're not particularly cheerful chapters. They're hard things. They're things that Jesus even says, I've saved these things to the end this last night. And then he closes. I'll remind you again, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. As your pastor... I can only lead you to the peace and love and joy that I have found here. And I'm planting a flag this morning, kind of deliberately, 
Because I do believe that peace and joy are available to every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus. And I believe it because he said it, and I take him at his word. I can only offer you what I've learned from God's word applied to my circumstances. I very, very often don't practice what I preach. But I want to do my best, if you'll have it, to offer you something other than the peace that the world gives. And I'm going to start from two presuppositions always. God is faithful, and God's word is true. And if you're so inclined, you can increase my joy by letting me and others here lead you there. So, that sets us up for John 15, verse 18, where things get a little dark. We're going to close this morning, as we always do, with our churches, the churches, great act of corporate remembrance. One way we remind ourselves every week of God's faithfulness is to take of this little supper. So Jesus gave it as a reminder because he knows that we are, I'll speak for myself, really, really forgetful creatures. And so twice in this passage, as we read every week, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So as we prepare, uh, whoever's handing out the Lord's Supper this morning, coming up. As we prepare, I would encourage you, as you sit, as we listen to the music, think about God's faithfulness. Perhaps let Him lead you to places where you haven't been faithful. Confess that and trust in His forgiveness. He forgives you because He said He forgives you if you believe. So, Hang on to what you receive, and we'll take it together in just a minute.